because when I was four, she looked like a person. Like I did not parse her as anything other than a regular person in the room. And it took a couple of years to go, oh, that, that was probably a ghost. Hey there, welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Ryan McGuire. It's a podcast where I get to talk with people from all over the world who have a story to share, knowledge and areas that we can learn from and apply to our lives to help make us better and happier people. And this was quite the episode. I got to sit down with psychic medium, occult expert and author, Michelle Belanger. I first stumbled upon her watching the, the TV shows, the paranormal TV shows like Paranormal State and the new one, Portals to Hell, on the Travel Channel. And she just blew my mind when she'd fly to these places and would communicate with spirits. Um, some people don't believe in that, some people do. I'm a believer and I find it fascinating. Not only did we get a chance to talk about talking and communicating with spirits, we got to talk about her life story and how she knew she had this gift. We also talk about the TV shows, how that works, how they fly her into these locations blindfolded and she communicates with the spirits. There was a few reasons why I wanted to have Michelle on my podcast. How often do you get a chance to sit down with a psychic medium and find out like how they visualize, how do they see things, how do they communicate? It's not something I understood whatsoever until I got to sit down with Michelle and we, I asked her about that. And with my podcast being titled The Pursuit of Happiness and you know currently going through the grieving process of losing my best friend, my dog, um, I, I feel like a lot of people want to know what happens when we pass, what happens when our loved ones pass. And I asked her that question. I even asked her about pets and what she said honestly made me feel a lot better and not only did she answer the question she answered with certainty which caught my eye i noticed how she said everything very calmly and very certain we also talk about her religious beliefs on how her psychic abilities have affected that we also get into communicating spirits with Ouija boards and spirit boxes and using EMF detectors. So basically, for anybody looking to go ghost hunting, this is an awesome episode for you. As she even talks about some of the most haunted places that she's ever been to. Not only that, she's an author of a book called The Dictionary of Demons. As I mentioned, she is an occult expert and she is very knowledgeable in this area so we talk about that um being a psychic medium what is your experience with dealing with demons and demonic possessions and she goes into that and even some of the episodes of paranormal state and she talks about being there for an exorcism which is is crazy this is one of the most fascinating conversations i think i have ever had and perhaps ever will have if you want your eyes opened to what happens to us, our loved ones, our pets, and the afterlife, this is a conversation for you. This was insane. Um, so enjoy it. I know I did. 
So without further ado, here is my conversation with Michelle Belanger. On today's episode, I am super, super excited to have Michelle Belanger. Um, so you have a lot of titles, and I'm just going to start reeling off some. <laughs> <laughs> so you are an author and a cult expert, a presenter, a singer, and a media personality. And I feel like you're even more than that. Um, so I've got to know you from probably a lot of people in uh, Paranormal State and uh, portals to hell on tv i'm into this i love this stuff i saw you i've seen you on so many episodes and i said i have to have you on this podcast i reached out and you accepted Uh, so i just want to first say thank you very much i know your time is valuable and i am very excited to have you Thank you for having me. So good. Absolutely. So there's a couple reasons I wanted to have you on my podcast. One of them is to know your story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure it's super interesting. It's going to be interesting to me and a lot of people. It's something that we kind of don't really know a lot about. Um, I know I don't. It's really interesting talking to like a psychic medium is like, how does that happen? What is their life like? How do they even know they have this? Is this gift real? Um, another is, you know, with my podcast being called The Pursuit of Happiness is I know a lot of us wonder what happens to us and mm-hmm. or our loved ones after we pass. Um, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, like I don't want to die. I don't want to lose loved ones. Um, and so I figure there's a couple angles we can hit on with this. And mm-hmm. you are like the expert to have on this. I, I, like I said, you, my enthusiasm is coming out. <laughs> I am very excited to have you. Um, so let's just go ahead and get this started. Um, well, first of all, what would you call yourself? Like there's a medium, there's psychic mediums or psychic, like what would, what's the difference and what would you call yourself? I, the difference is really in the eye of the person using the term. So uh, medium used to be uh, the, the word you exclusively used for folks who communicate with spirits of the departed. They act as a medium in between like the living and the dead. And a psychic is this big blanket term for anybody who's got sensitivities that are more than what we think of as our normal or natural physical senses. And around about when I started doing paranormal state, they kind of put psychic and medium together. Uh, I, I think to to define a psychic who also talked to dead things. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a term I would have chosen for myself, but it was a term that people understood as, you know, here is a psychic who also can communicate with spirits. Uh, in terms of like what I think of myself as, uh, psychic is a word that I grew up with, uh, energy worker, uh, but you know, I'm a whole lot of other things too. So like the labels are less important to me than uh, just, the practical application of like, what, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like people just fling around these labels and to define them is rather difficult. Um, so how did this all start? I would love to know, like when I hear of a psychic, I was, I'm just baffled. I'm like, how, how do they know they have this? When did this start? How do they visualize? And I'm sure everyone's different. Mm. I'd love to hear your story. Everybody is different. In my case, uh, it actually took me a while to realize that people weren't all like this. So I, I grew up in a family where it was 
Uh, enough people had different talents of a psychic nature that it wasn't weird to talk about it. Uh, so I was having experiences from the time I was tiny. There's some argument that maybe, so I was born with a, a heart defect. Okay. Uh, and my life expectancy was five. I wasn't supposed to make it past five. Wow. Uh, I had a number of like really risky uh, open heart surgeries and other surgeries. So I pretty much spent the first five years of my life in and out of hospitals. And I know some people believe that like near death experiences and brushes with death uh, make you more sensitive to the other side, to spirits. And the thing is, is all of that happened to me so early. I can't say if there was a change because of my experiences. But what I can say is because of hard conversations that my family had with me at a very young age about death and what comes after, I never really had any fear. And I think that had a huge effect on being open to experiences that were more than just physical people around me. Like ghosts weren't scary because, you know, of course we're ghosts, people died and, and that's just how things worked. Wow. Were you born into a certain religion? Um, um, so I was, I was raised by, um, the other side of my family is Mahoney, um, and they're Irish Catholic. Okay. So I was, I was raised broadly Irish Catholic. Now the thing about Irish Catholic, and the reason I say specifically Irish Catholic is there's a lot of mysticism that, that still clings to, uh, Irish heritage and Irish Catholicism. So although it is Catholic and Christian, there's still a belief in second sight and spirits and omens. You know, I grew up hearing from my great aunt Rita stories about like the black coach and banshees and, and family ghosts. And my grandmother sometimes talked about, uh, you know, fairy stories that, that her grandmother taught her. Uh, and so like I grew up in this, this rich environment of exploring the improbable, exploring possibility. And at the same time, uh, my family also really, really valued education, uh, rationality, science. Uh, so I was encouraged to study as much as I could, understand it from a practical perspective, but also embrace experiences when I had them. That's a fantastic way to grow up. Um, I, I'm not sure I was expecting that answer. Um, <laughs> I was super lucky, like like perfect, perfect confluence of like, background and people and events yeah so i would imagine this strengthened your did it strengthen your belief in your religion or did it change it or alter it um it it altered it a little bit i'm not catholic anymore but not so much because of my experiences with the paranormal more because of my experiences with people uh there was just a lot of hypocrisy in our yeah. local church mm -hmm. i was really active uh, and the fact that I couldn't grow up to be a priest uh, annoyed me to no end. I actually got into a, a loud fight with Father Kuziak when I was seven about this. Uh, so seven was as early as I wanted to grow up and be a priest, to give you an idea. Um, and so I drifted away for completely different reasons. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense, and I completely understand, because um, I imagine there's a lot of people listening that are in search of their religion or a search of answers, and mm -hmm. if they could you know, see the dead or have conversations with spirits, I figure it might alter their beliefs or give them a stronger faith. Um, yeah, like, I'm just going to ask you a random question. Is there oh, a yeah, God? Yeah. Is, is there a God? Do you believe in God? I, I believe in something so big that it's hard to put a, a word or a name to it. There's definitely something that 
is bigger than all of us that sort of shapes the universe and, and holds it together and, and guides some of the things that seem random to us. I'm definitely, I, I definitely believe that there is what, what we don't have a better word for than God. I, I should give full dis disclosure. Like I've, I've had such a, a, a mystical mindset that uh, when I went to college, um, my most of my degree is in religious studies so i started to like study the religions of the world mythologies like like i'm fascinated by faith and belief like what people believe the conclusions they draw from their experiences this was this has been something that's driven me from you know the time i was tiny onward and again you could argue like you know early childhood facing you know death and mortality like maybe that inspired it experiences uh, all the weird stuff I grew up seeing, the conversations with family. But, I mean, it's just sort of who I am. Yeah. I mean, so I grew up uh, Roman Catholic. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm one of those people that I don't really go to church much anymore. Um, I, you can say I kind of still believe I still have faith, but I'm also just not positive either. I imagine mm -hmm. if I had experiences like you or saw things that you saw, it would definitely probably lead me in one way or the other as far as believing or believing in something higher than me. Um, so it's, it's um, interesting to hear you say that. And do you say that based on your studies or based on your experiences or both? Both, definitely yeah. both. I mean, my, my studies have taught me that faith is one of the most powerful and also most dangerous human capacities. Mm -hmm. like, like it drives and shapes culture. Uh, it, it's the thing that makes us yearn for, hope for, and dream about something bigger and better than ourselves, you know, and, and can inspire us to make a world uh, that we shape toward those dreams. Uh, and it can also be twisted um, mm -hmm. and used as a terrible tool for harm as well. Yeah, I, I know we've seen a lot of that recently. I know I have over my lifetime, which is, you know, sadly somewhat of a turnoff of, of religion when religion can be a really positive experience in someone's life and leading them to do better and be better for the people around them. Um, I kind of want to go back real quick as, so if we can, let's talk about like maybe your first experience of you're like, okay, I, something happened. I realized this isn't normal. I'm seeing something. And then when did it click? So the, the first one, that I knew, well, I didn't know at the time that I was seeing a ghost, um, but this was the one that for the longest time when I thought about my first experience, this was the one that stood out. Um, I was an early reader, uh, so this was before my final heart surgery. I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of four. Uh, and we had a local library um, that had been, uh, it had been a private home. They bought the home, they refurbished it, turned it into a library, and they had just opened it up, but they were still doing repairs. Uh, my mom knew the librarian, and we were there to pick up books for the early summer. And mom, you know, stepped away to talk to the librarian, and they had areas that were cordoned off with caution tape. And of course, I was told, don't go past that. That's not good. <laughs> so I was the kind of kid where immediately, as soon as her back was turned off, I went. Like, I, I ducked under it. I, like, crawled up the stairs. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking around, like, trying to figure out, like, why? Why am I not allowed to be up here? Like, what's up here? Uh, and it's just a hallway, so that's boring. So I start like trying the doors to see what opens up because I was that kind of kid. And there's there's one room that was still open um, and it was still under construction. So there was pretty much nothing in there. There was a window, didn't even have curtains on it. There was some like construction stuff over in the corner. And then there was the door I'm standing in and I see this woman. And 
like I know something's unusual because she's just she's just standing there she's looking out the window uh she has this dress on like I've never seen it's got like all these tiny buttons up the back to this tight kind of like tight fitting neck thing her hair is really long and big and like piled up on her head uh she's got these funny poofy sleeves and these like tight again really tiny buttons so four-year-old me is sitting there going how does she button all the buttons like Mm. how Mm. uh she doesn't say anything to me but she she turns and she sort of like looks at me um and if i if i knew the word i would have said that her expression was melancholy you Mm. know in retrospect the fact that she acknowledged my presence tells me that this was an intelligent haunting that this was a spirit um and and not just an echo not just a residual haunting um it might be me looking back at it and inserting things in but i don't think that she was casting a shadow but again, at four, that didn't make a whole lot of, like, like I didn't, it didn't make, I didn't note that as being weird. Um, uh-huh. What was weird was, you know, mom finally noticed that I was gone. So she hollers up from downstairs and I get that like flush of guilt that like only mom's sounds can like inspire in a kid. Did you get a middle name too? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, oh, busted. Yeah. So, so I, I turn and I stick my head you know, kind of down the hall, and I'm like, you know, come in, and, 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 and yell, and I turn back, and the room is now empty. The woman is totally gone. Uh, I am standing in the only doorway, hmm. so it's not like she could have walked past me. She didn't walk past me, um, and, you know, I puzzle over this for a second, but since I'm not supposed to be up here, my four-year-old conclusion was she wasn't supposed to be up in that room either. And she found the hiding place. Mm. Like she knew where to hide. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like, you know, give up and realize that I've got to go down and face the music. Uh, years later, I started to hear stories and, and learned that our, our library like made it into multiple books of hauntings because it had so many sightings of what they called the lady in blue. Um, and her name was Rebecca. She was the sister of the school teacher. They were able to identify her based on p- what people saw. And I've, I've wow. seen a picture of her, and it's definitely who I saw. Wow. So it haunted library. She, she appeared to numerous librarians over the years uh, and uh, had a penchant for knocking books off the shelves. Although nobody could ever tell if they were like books that she liked or books that she didn't like. But in the 90s, apparently, she had a real thing for Anne Rice. <laughs> <laughs> when was this person actually alive, do you know? Um, 1840s or so. Uh, yeah, she, she died a spinster at like 38. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was that far long ago. Holy cow. Yeah, I was going to say the dress you're describing doesn't sound like anything very modern. Wow. So I have like a thousand questions. Um, so when did you realize this was a spirit? Uh, in, in that case, it took me a while to go, hey, I think I, think I saw the library ghost. Hmm. Now, I'd seen, since, between that point and, let me see, second grade, third grade, maybe, I, I started. So, so the thing is, is you have to understand is um, in the 70s, we had the same sort of paranormal explosion on tv that we've had recently um and the only difference is it wasn't reality tv so you had like in search of with leonard nimoy and you had that's incredible and uh, a whole bunch of other things that were all focused on esp and ghostly phenomenon and of course project blue book because everything was coming up ufos 
Uh, and so I, my, my family watched a lot of sci-fi and a lot of like weird stuff anyway. Like everybody was fascinated with the occult. Mm-hmm. And oh, certainly by fourth grade, uh, I not only understood that I was seeing spirits, but I understood that I was psychic. Um, I was reading as many like time life books on, on ESP and psychic stuff as I could get my hands on. And I, I had this opportunity at my school system. I went to a public school in Ohio and um, we, we had these things called Saturday enrichment courses. So if you had a, you know, if you were a good enough student, you could also go to school on Saturday and pick like some fun thing or a couple of fun things. Like, um, you know, one year we did war gaming with miniatures and like, much later there was like early computer programming in fourth grade i got to take parapsychology i perfect yeah just just this amazing opportunity so i i don't remember his name and i couldn't tell you if if his accent was irish scottish or english uh but he was from the uk he was the the father-in-law of one of the teachers in the school system and he was a member of the society for psychical research and he offered his time to teach students in the school district parapsychology. So we learned uh, dowsing and we learned about clairvoyance. I mean, like, like we did all kinds of experiments. Uh, we played with EVP. Uh, it was just so much really fun stuff that we got to do and explore. And he just encouraged everyone not only to have experiences, but to study it, to keep records, to... Uh, compare it against other people's things. Uh, that, that was when I was introduced to other ghost hunters uh, from, from history, like Harry Price, or the fact that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was really into this stuff. So I'm curious, yeah, like I said, it's a thousand questions. So when you were four years old, you actually saw this spirit. Has that, um, I guess, changed over time? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you visualize see spirits anymore? That is a really good question, because when I was four, she looked like a person. Like, I did not parse her as anything other than a regular person in the room. And it took a couple of years to go, oh, that that was probably a ghost. Mm. Now, somewhere between the age of four and probably the age of, like, eight or nine, like, something shifted in the way I processed stuff. Uh, Not that it was suppressed. I mean, obviously, I was in an environment where I was encouraged to have experiences however I did. Uh, but I think that it's adaptive to not see a ghost as if it's like actually a person in the room. Like, like how confusing would that be? Like eventually, like you're going to pass a, a place where there was a car accident and swerve out of the way or right. there's nobody actually there. Right. Uh, so, so now mostly it's, I still am very, very visual, but it's like with a mind's eye, like with a projector inside my head. Uh, so there's often, it, it actually starts more subtly than the visual stuff. Um, and with all of the work that I've done for Paranormal State and Portals to Hell, I've had ample time to like really get a feel for how it works. And it's first feelings, uh, emotions, sensations. There's usually a somatic uh, element where there's like places feel heavy or, or tight or tense. And as I sort of follow that, emotions and and memories or or what seem to be memories come and then that unfolds to initially like little flashes of images sometimes so quick that it's really hard to catch 
Uh, but if I catch the thread of it, if I really find a, a way to like hook in and follow the trail to to whatever is there to speak with me, uh, it can be as intense as a full a fully immersive movie playing in my head, sometimes also with smell and sound uh, and, and physical sensations. It's rare for me to like have my physical body echo something that somebody has experienced in a haunting. Um, you know, like there are several mediums who will experience uh, what somebody felt when they were dying. Uh, and that is very rare for me, but occasionally that will spill over too. For me, it's mostly image, emotion, uh, and sort of like the the shape of thoughts. Okay. If not, like literally like word for word. Is this because they're giving you this information when you go to these places, they, they want to speak to you? Or is it you picking up some kind of an energy that's like residual? It's... It's kind of a two-way street when it's when it's when when it's intelligent spirits. Uh, it's a dialogue. Like I reach out and I sense their presence and I invite communication, but I never demand it. I've got some pretty strict personal rules about that. Like I don't yeah. like to provoke. Um, I figure if if intelligent spirits, if ghosts that are, if this is real. These were human beings, or at least most of them were at some point. And so the way I treat them shouldn't change just because they're dead, just because they're not wearing a body. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so for me, it is uh, a, a dialogue, often one that I am uh, polite and uh, compassionate about inviting. But a lot of places have great deals of information. Like there's a lot to pick up that isn't tied to an intelligent spirit residual hauntings it's like um people and events even animals leave imprints on spaces uh psychic dust or, or fingerprints and that stuff can be picked up as well so for the people who don't know you on the tv shows you go to these places with a blindfold on is that your request is that their request and does that help intensify what you're visualizing so the blindfold started uh, by as kind of an experiment from the production company with Paranormal State, and I found that I liked it so much that I insisted on keeping it. They they had intended on doing it for only one episode. They really just wanted to see like if you take away one sense, does it sharpen anything else? Hmm. And for me, what that did was when you walk into any space, um, it doesn't matter if you know, you're know you trying to be front-loaded or not, there's so much visual information. And if you are observant at all, there's a lot of conclusions you can draw just about you know, what a person's background is, like what photos are on the wall. Uh, if you're in a building that's been abandoned, like you're gonna know it's a prison or it was an asylum. Like, like there's just a lot of obvious stuff there. And I found, when I put the blindfold on, it freed me from this process of elimination that I would usually go through, uh, where I'd, I'd see like, you know, a little blonde haired girl, but then I'd turn and like, oh, well, there's a photo on the wall that is a little blonde haired girl. So maybe I was just reacting to the photo. So the blindfold then just lets me like, just do whatever, like whatever comes to mind. And at this point, it's become such an integral part of my process that like we put it on. Um, portals to hell uh they pick me up somewhere sometimes as far as like 40 minutes away from the actual location 
Uh, and then there's just a car ride. And I put the blindfold on as soon as I get into the car. And we start recording because I will start to get impressions of where we're going. Uh, usually, I don't know, within several miles of the location. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating, like, what the blindfold sort of, like, lets me tune in. It, it just lets me block everything else out. And, yeah, I, I love it. How did you get started with these shows? Like, how did they find you? And was Paranormal State your first one? Well, it wasn't the first thing I did for TV. Uh, I was, long before that, just a researcher, a talking head on things on the History Channel. Um, I, I'm an occult expert. I write a bunch of books on, you know, if it goes bump in the night, I've probably written a book about it, you know, vampires, ghosts, demons, etc. Yeah, you have a lot of books. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and that's really, like, more what, like, my bread and butter, like, that's what I do. I'm a writer. Yep. And so... The folks at Paranormal State used to run a paranormal convention called Munifcon, and they would get various speakers and experts. And Elfie Music and Josh Light were both fans of my books. So they asked to have me come out, I think in 2006, maybe 2005, and teach a class, basically, at Unifcon. Uh, I wasn't involved with the Paranormal Research Society at the time, although I got to meet all of them. Uh, and I wasn't involved in the television show until uh, the production company found like what I wrote about. And first, uh, before I was ever on camera, I was just hired to be uh, a writer for, they had like this tie-in blog called the Paranormal Insider. And we would just do blog entries and like little articles on the paranormal and weird uh, and as a side thing for the television show, if they ran into something occult or weird that they didn't quite know what was going on, I would get like this 3 a.m. phone call. They're like up in the woods of Maine with Lorraine Warren, uh, wandering around, wondering whether or not it's a Wendigo or like something else. And do I know anything about the Native American tribes that were up there? And do I have advice? Because I've got uh, a library of about, what that time, about 3,000 books uh, on various occult mythological titles. So I would joke that I was either Giles with uh, Spike's fashion sense or um, uh, Bobby from Supernatural, but with, you know, 100% less alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so it's like to get you on these shows, I'm curious, do they just call you? They just call you randomly? You're like, hey, we're going to fly you out here. We hope you have nothing else going on in your life. Or how does that work? Actually, that's about how that works. <laughs> it really is. So, okay. So what, hap what, what, what happened with, with Paranormal State, um, I, I, got, I got a call and they wanted me to come out and actually in the capacity of occult researcher to help Elfie and kind of mentor her. So the first episode that I'm on, it's called The Messenger. They did not intend for me to be a psychic. Hmm. A series of fun and weird events uh, happened with chip coffee and a wrong turn on a logging road. Uh, and long story short, uh, we decided chip was like, you're, you're psychic. And I'm like, well, well, yeah, I mean, I write books on energy work and I teach psychic classes. I've been doing that for like 15 years. He's like, why didn't you tell them you're psychic? I'm like, they, they want me for research. I, I mean, if they ask, I'll say something, but you know, mm. whatever. So anyway, he threw me under the bus uh, okay. <laughs> and, and decided that he would do a walkthrough and then I would do a walkthrough, but we'd keep separate and then we would compare and, and see where we converged with what we saw. That's fascinating. Uh, and 
things were, were cool enough that the production company at that point, they were like, so uh, you're a psychic medium. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know that I really call you're a psychic medium. Wow. That <laughs> and is then the rest was, fascinating. Yeah. The, the rest is history at that point. That's, wow. Okay. So there's a few, <laughs> like I said, there's, a, there's always so much I want to cover. Um, mm. So I'm going to touch real quick. You said native American. Why yeah. does it seem that so many Native American lands seem to have hauntings? Am I right when I say that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's right because technically everything we're standing on is Native land. Right. That makes sense. And, and so it's, it's hard to say. Like, there, there's, there is definitely a trope of, like, haunted Native American burial grounds. But there, there's things that happen with paranormal phenomena where... You know, I cannot rule out that there are presences in different places, you know, burial grounds, regardless of, of who is buried there. Um, and it depends on the culture, like how much importance was placed on the remains and how much importance was placed on the desecration of those remains and, and whether or not there's a belief that there's going to be retribution or something to that. Uh, but, but more than that, uh, there is a reciprocal effect between people and hauntings which is to say you don't have a haunting if you have no one who can perceive it like what? things can be there they're kind of everywhere mm -hmm. there there's there's spirits all over the place but we don't register it as a haunting unless a living human being has an experience that they can report that they notice yeah uh, and i think people are in some cases more inclined to recognize it as a paranormal experience if they are someplace that they expect to be spooky or haunted. So if you're in a cemetery and you have something touch you on the back of your neck, you're more likely to go, oh, shit, I think that might be a ghost. Right. But if you're in a crowded subway, it could be anybody. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and, and so like, it's, it's hard to say one way or the other. Um, and it's... I am occasionally a very frustrating uh, psychic to other psychics because I don't, I don't think it's always wise to just jump to the conclusion that it's paranormal all yeah. the time. Yeah. Uh, I think everything needs to be analyzed. And I also think that a lot of things are situational. Which is great. It gives you a little more credibility, in, in my opinion. You know, I just assume it's paranormal. Um, yeah, I, I, I never stopped being the the researcher also is the thing yeah. like i straddle these these two worlds and, and you said science was a big part of growing up too so that obviously that helps you know get yeah. a different angle um so what does the term like crossing over to you mm. mean if if it means anything at the same time why do some people not cross over mm. why are you seeing them and not other people what's going on there okay so I mean, death is complicated, especially for human beings. Like we get really wound up on ourselves. And especially when we have a lot of trauma or a lot of emotional stuff that we just haven't resolved. Death means that like the physical body is done, but what we're dealing with isn't finished yet. Hmm. And that those complications, that, that internal trauma, that uh, those emotional entanglements, in my observations, are the most likely things that will keep people around for a while, either tied to the place where they experienced things, connected to people who are important to them. Um, I, I don't like so much the word earthbound because it, it implies that there's like 
I don't know, some no way that they can escape it. And, and as far as I can tell, most human ghosts really just need a good therapist or, you know, a couple of decades to sort their shit out. Mm. And then they disappear. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes. And, and the crossing over, the idea of it is that at some point they leave the world as we understand it, um, or at least where we can perceive them. They move on to some other aspect of life. Uh, and where that is or, or what that is, I think only they ever know. Hmm. Do you have any opinions on what, where uh, they go and or heaven and or hell? I mean, the only thing I can say for sure is it's somewhere where, where I can't go. My perceptions hmm. don't go. Mm -hmm. uh, when they're still here and attached within you know, the, the other side, the shadow side, whatever you want to think of it as, like near to the physical world, they're perceptible to me. And uh, there, there's almost no sense of, of distance. Like if I, if I have a spirit that I can communicate with, uh, you know, I, I, there, there is you know, potential mind-to-mind -mind contact regardless of, of distance. And there's a process where they move on, uh, usually on their own time. I think my, my biggest problem with crossing over, as it's often portrayed in a lot of the, the television shows, uh, or, or books or movies is that, you know, some, some medium like me comes by and like opens a door and like shoves them on to some other existence. And that presumes a whole lot. First of all, that I have the ability to do it, that I have the right to do it, mm -hmm. that, that somehow like I can judge that they should move on as opposed to just letting them figure out on their own. Like I'm really big on consent. Yeah. And I've had conversations with spirits and basically acted as their therapist, you know, help them understand their position and help them make better choices. But the idea of just shoving them into uh, that transition, it doesn't really work for me. So I, I feel like you would say that at least some of them are aware that they're mm. still earthbound or yeah. stuck your figure yeah. out. Quite, quite a number of them are still aware. There's, there's a small percentage that just haven't quite quite sorted out that they're dead or exactly what's going on. They're a little bit like sleepwalkers. And it's not like, you know, time is a big pressing thing for them. Mm -hmm. Some some folks will present it like time doesn't exist on that side. And, and that, that's not exactly the case, at least not from what I've observed. It's more that if you're not in a body, the passage of time is far less pressing. Okay. You know, your, your body roots you to time. You have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to pee. Your body gets old around you. Uh, but if you don't have that physical element, there's much less investment in the passage of time and the length of time. So more what is passing is thought, emotion. Think about uh, those 3 a.m.s when you wake up and your brain is racing and there's like a billion and one things and there's like something that you're dealing with and you can't shut your brain off and every second feels like this protracted forever mm -hmm. as you're just caught in your thoughts and your emotions. Uh, and, you know, eventually you have to pee or you fall back asleep, like your body puts you back into time. Mm -hmm. But ghosts don't have that. 
Mm. Like they're, they can be just caught in that protracted moment where a few seconds is the same as an eternity. Mm. Would you say that ghosts and or spirits have feelings and or fear or anxiety about trying to figure this out? Do they feel anything? Oh yeah. The, the human ones, they don't stop being human. Um, they're, they're people. They emote like people. The ones that were assholes in life generally are still assholes in death. <laughs> uh, the, the nice ones are still nice. Um, th- there's often a learning curve. It's possible for them to still grow. Uh, I think that growth is a significant part of whether or not they do hit a point of moving on to whatever is next. Uh, and, and yeah, they, they don't stop being people just because they're not wearing skin. Okay. And now what about like funerals and or proper burials? Do they matter? And do people actually get to see their own funeral? If that makes sense. Um, I've, so one of my students had a really charming story of seeing her grandmother um, who predeceased her grandfather. And by her perception, the grandmother stayed around until the grandfather also died. And she reported seeing her grandmother standing beside the grandfather's coffin at the funeral in church and then like guiding him away, Uh, which, you know, I have no reason to doubt her perception of it. Uh, What I can say is, is burial is important if it is important to the person. Uh, Some of that is, you know, what culture tells us when, when we're in paranormal state, uh, there is an episode called The Glove. It's in Daisytown, Pennsylvania. It's really famous because this, this handprint shows up on the wall. Um, and I also taunt the spirit by saying, you know, come on, wife beater. Like I, I pretty much like threatened to, to throw down with him because <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, one of the, he's one of the ones where I'm like, if they were an asshole in life, they're not going to stop being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it, we, in our research, we came to find out that he was, uh, he was an immigrant and his cultural background was, was sub-Carpathian Rus, so, so a part of Russia, but sub-Carpathian. And if, you, if Carpathian sounds familiar, you probably are familiar with it from Dracula mm. uh, in Transylvania. But the reason we've got those, those vampire myths is there's rich folklore in that region. And uh, a little-known aspect of some of the vampire folklore is that if you were a hard drinker or an abusive person or a bad person in life, you would rise from the grave, be tied to your corpse, and come and prey on your family as, as a, a variety of vampire. Um, and again, don't think um, like physical living corpse Dracula, like it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. So part of solving that case was finding that his folkloric beliefs, like his beliefs, were impacting how he behaved as a spirit. Wow. So my experience is what we believe, the things that we hold very dear, the things that maybe we don't want to believe, but like we really like, you know, internalized from our culture, from our upbringing, we carry that stuff with us. So if it's really important for us to have our bodies treated properly, to have them either, you know, buried properly or, you know, cremated, or if it was really important to like leave in our will that this was the way we wanted to be treated and then somebody doesn't do it, then it's likely that the ghost of that person will have a problem. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't have any real significance to them, 
then, then they won't be really hung up about it. So if they have a problem, that means they would know if they had a funeral. Like, I'm just curious, like, yeah. do people know who comes to their funeral? <laughs> That's an I mean, interesting question. If, if they're aware, again, so I, I like the teachings of Tibetan Buddhism uh, because they spent hundreds, if not thousands of years, like really understanding like the edge of life and what the transition into death is like. And a lot of what they write about the experience in detaching from the body and the first few months or years after that, like really resonates with what I've personally observed and experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first thing is that not everybody's experience is the same. Uh, some people are more aware as they cross from life to death. And some of that has to do with, are you dying intentionally? Are you aware? Are you focused? Like, are you a person who sort of like mastered yourself? Um, there's in the Tibetan Buddhist system, there's, there's like a lot of prayer and there's a lot of focus and a lot of meditation that goes into like actually embracing end of life. But accidents happen and sudden death happens and people die in their sleep. And sometimes it will take a while for them to realize what happened and to sort of like pull themselves into awareness. And in the Tibetan Buddhist system, they, they uh, equate that to like waking up from sleep. Okay. Oh, hey, this is super I've, interesting. Yeah, no, and, and I've definitely seen that. Like I've encountered spirits where it's like, there's definitely like an intelligent haunting there. There's, there's a human being there, but they're just, it's like they're sleepwalking. They're sort of like caught in a loop and they haven't quite like pulled themselves out of it yet. It's not to say that they can't or that they won't. And then there's others that are like, you know, they're clear, they're, you know, very, very aware of what's going on. Uh, and they either are really, really interested in talking because they're very bored uh, or uh, they actually just are like, oh, you want to talk to me? I'm not your monkey. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> now, can they talk to each other? Do spirits, the other spirits? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Hmm. Uh, again, to go back to the Tibetan Buddhist idea, it's, there seem to be like different layers. Um, reality is kind of a layer cake. Uh, I don't want to go so far as to say like, you know, different dimensions, because I think that gives a different impression. Like it kind of takes it to twilight zone area, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but there's definitely like different points, different spaces in which they operate. Uh, so sometimes they intersect and sometimes they interact with one another. Uh, sometimes they, they just, just miss one another like ships in the night. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating how complex the other side is. There, there's a lot going on. Do you believe that psychedelics can open our minds into seeing those other layers or is that just completely different? Mm-hmm. Under the proper circumstances, uh, I think so. I have not personally, so I have can't talk from any kind of personal experience. But I know a lot of folks who've pursued things. Uh, and uh, actually, part of my undergrad work was on um, world shamanic traditions, hmm. where uh, entheogens, as well as a number of other altered states inspired by ecstatic dance, um, ritual drumming, things like sweat lodges, basically situations that like push both the body and the mind beyond ordinary limits can often have the effect of 
breaking down the barriers we ordinarily unconsciously hold against these experiences. Mm. And there's historically and culturally all different ways to sort of find ways to kind of, you know, hack the system and, and get over ourselves. Right. Because I know, so my sister has done ayahuasca before, and that's something that I want to do an episode on and learn more about because people claim to see like deceased relatives and have experiences that kind of lead them down a journey, whether positive mm. or negative. And um, yeah, I was just curious to see if, what your thoughts were on psychedelics, if they opened up like the eyes to see some of those layers that you were talking about. Yeah, all the folks that I've talked to who have participated in that under the proper care and proper circumstances have had profound experiences. Hmm. Would you recommend it? And I know that's a weird question, but mm. like, would, who would you recommend doing that? I, I, I don't know like who. What I would recommend is make certain that it is someone who is trained in it, who is an expert in it, ideally someone who is from one of the indigenous cultures where this is relevant. Uh, because any psychedelic, anything like that, uh, without the structure, is you're just opening doors willy nilly. Yeah, this is, I'm I'm kind of too much of a control freak, and when I'm nervous, <laughs> to kind of just hand over the keys for my life for like a day. <laughs> That's makes me nervous. So I don't. I'm yeah, not sure. I mean, one day. I yeah. Well, I've I've only studied it, and again, you know, I grew up in a hospital, so I've yeah. had plenty of stuff. And again, for me, also, it's a it's a control thing. Like I mm -hmm. I prefer being in control of me, and I had enough stuff shoved in me. I'm from, sure. <laughs> yeah, like just nope. <laughs> you get your fixes, I'm sure, constantly <laughs> of seeing things that people don't normally. Oh lord, see. yeah. <laughs> um, so when somebody close to us passes, um. Is it our imagination that they're sending us signs and signals, um, such as like seeing a clock at a certain time or showing up at a dream or seeing something that we want to believe is there? Is that just our imagination or do you believe that they actually send us signs? I mean, sometimes it is imagination. Sometimes it is wishful thinking. Uh, and I think it's important when we lose someone close, uh, the grieving process is complicated. And, you know, our brains are wired for something called gestalt, pattern, uh, pattern recognition. So it's not even necessarily like we're trying to trick ourselves. Our brains will trick us. We're used to a certain pattern, a certain sound. Um, you know, say you have uh, a relative who, when they walked in the house, like they had a certain jingle to their keys. And if you hear something that is the same pitch or a similar pitch, your brain will try to like just sort of jump to and fill in the blank of like, that means their presence. Mm. So on one level, yes, we're, we're tricking ourselves. On the other level, that doesn't mean that they aren't communicating. Sometimes they are. And it, it's tricky. Because, so when my mom died, uh, one of my aunts, bless her heart, like every time the light through the clouds changed. She was convinced my mom was sending her messages. Uh, and for her, that was part of her grieving process. So I, I felt, I did not feel like it was my place to tell her I didn't think that she was correct. Uh, because sometimes we have to find meaning where we see it, especially when we're going through grief. Also, um, dreams especially, historically, there's a lot going on with dreams. Um, in the ancient world, 
dreams were where people would actively go to have communication with spirits, uh, especially deceased loved ones, uh, experiences with, with gods and, and all kinds of things. Uh, probably one of my, my most whoa uh, experiences was my grandfather. Uh, maybe a year after he died, you know, he wasn't on my mind. I was well over the, the grief. We hadn't been like, I, I hadn't had a chance to grow up with him, even though I liked him a whole lot. But um, I had this dream where he just sort of like inserts himself into a, a per perfectly ordinary for me dream. Uh, and he kind of pulls me over into a, a side room. And now we're outside of my dream. And this is a very simple room. It's not very decorated, but there's, there's a piano in it. And there's a place for me to sit. And he's like, you know, hey, granddaughter, uh, you know, I, I should say he left me his keyboard. We, we had music in common. And, and he's like, so I, I've noticed you haven't used my keyboard. You haven't done anything. Like, I've got one request. Like, could you just learn, give me back my heart again? And I'm like, and he says the title of this song multiple times. And he sits down at the, at the piano. He's like, it's, it's for piano and two voices. And my mom and I would sit and play it and sing it together. So I just want you to learn, give me back my heart again. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're dead, right, Grandpa? He's like, oh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> so, so I wake up, and he said it often enough that I'm like, okay, give me back my heart again. What? Really? So, of course, I, I hit Google. And in the Cleveland, or sorry, the, the Ohio State Historical Society, there is sheet music for a song that was written at the tail end of the 1800s called Give Me Back My Heart Again for Piano and Two Voices. Now, I've got a music background, but it is in Italian arias, okay. opera, shit like that. Not 19th century music. Uh. So it's not music that I'd, I like. I'd never heard of this before. Uh, so I 100% believe my grandfather showed up, kind of like shook his finger at me and told me that I needed to get back with the music. <laughs> hmm. And the number of people who have recorded experiences of communication with dead loved ones in dreams, um, especially death announcing dreams, where a loved one appears usually at the moment of death or within minutes of it to say goodbye. Mm. Uh, we, we have so many records of that, uh, that it's probably the single most reported paranormal experience. Wow. I've so heard of that. Yeah. There's definitely something going on. Do you have any insight in how people communicate via dream? That's, I don't understand that. Well, if you think about uh, using entheogens or anything else to like break down barriers, our dreaming mind is where those barriers are already gone. Mm. Uh, we're, we're in a different type of consciousness. So uh, our waking consciousness is very detail oriented mm -hmm. and, and by its nature has to like kind of narrow our focus and mm. ignore tons of information, uh, internal thoughts and, and, and whatnot. When we sleep, when we dream, uh, we access our consciousness and information very differently. Uh, we know from uh, breakthroughs, like the fellow who discovered the benzene ring, uh, the sewing machine, and uh, goodness, uh, Berlioz, I think Wagner, uh, Edison for sure, all of them harness dreams as ways of problem solving. If you're awake and stuck, if you go to sleep, your brain looks at the information a very different way. Mm -hmm. So our brains think differently in dreams. Mm -hmm. 
boundaries are different in dreams. Yeah. And the way that we're open to communication differs in dreams. And if we can remember what happens, sometimes dreams are much more than dreams. Yeah. Notably, Sigmund Freud, uh, you know, father of modern psychology, he did his uh, book on the interpretation of dreams. And you wouldn't think of him as a paranormal fellow, but well into his career, once it couldn't tank his career, uh, he's quoted as saying that if we are to find proof of the paranormal, we will find it in dreams. Hmm. So if I have a dream, um, let's say about uh, my grandma who has passed who I was pretty close to, does that mean she's there in my room, like whispering to me or is she just on one of those layers and I happens to connect with my wavelengths? Most likely one of the layers in connecting with you. Okay. Uh, space distance is more conceptual than it is geographic. Okay. Yeah, that's just one of those things where it, with my mind, my conscious mind, it's hard yeah. to visualize. It's hard to see. So it's like sometimes when I think of if I have a dream about somebody who's passed, it's like, oh, they must be like with me, whispering to me or something like they're right there with me. But that makes sense what you just said. Yeah, yeah, you won't you won't wake up with them like leaning over you. Uh, it's it's more you're you're meeting them on their own on their own turf in their own space. Okay, that's a good way to that's a good way to say that. Okay, that's cool. Okay, now we talked a lot about people. Um, I've recently lost my best friend, who is a pet, was a pet. Uh, my best friend Coda. Um, what are your thoughts and/or experiences with our best friends? passing um what can and can they send us signals as well what happens to them like i'm really interested because this personally is uh, you know this this is big for me oh i i yeah i completely relate i've i've i yeah i've i am i am a pet person uh i am i get really angry at the people who are like they don't have souls and and that's that's not true they yeah. they absolutely so first of all um a lot of people are kind of funny about talking about it because of that like general Christian idea that animals don't have souls and therefore can't have an afterlife. But so many people experience animal hauntings. Um, they experience their pets. Uh, so can pets be ghosts? Yes. Uh, you know, what happens when a pet dies? They're much less complicated about the process than humans. You know, we, our, our big brains are our blessing and our curse. Like we get in our own way and we get tangled up on ourselves. And anybody who's had a companion animal knows that they, they are very pure mm -hmm. in how they feel and how they connect. Like there's no, uh, no guile to them, no misleading thing. Like if, if an animal likes you, it likes you. And if it doesn't like you, it's very clear about that. Uh, so when they die, especially if there's somebody that they really care about, they hang around frequently. Uh, and you know, it, it doesn't, it's not like they're bound or complicated. Uh, it's not like they need to cross over. It's totally their choice. Uh, and the, the companion animals don't stop being companions just because they're, they're not in a physical body anymore. They may go and come back. And I've definitely noticed that where they go, I don't know. Uh, possibly the same place that some of the, the human spirits will go to. But 
animal spirits seem to have free passage and, and make of that whatever you will, but they seem to be able to like, you know, they, they may go for a little while and just sort of like, you know, shake off, especially if life and, and death was like really unpleasant. Um, but they will come back exactly as they were to just check on you. Uh, and, and I really think better. that, yeah, no, I really, I really think that they will, they will hang around. They'll be there when, I think that they're very patient and they know that we will be there for them eventually. Hmm. Will we, have you had experiences, have uh, either you and or anybody like seeing them again? Like, will I see yeah. them again? Yeah, I, uh, so I lost a, I, I've, I've had cats most of my life and there's always one at, you don't want to play favorites with your pets, but, but one like just gets in mm -hmm. your heart and is like just completely different. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I cried harder for Cornelius than I cried for my mom. And I felt a little shitty about that, but it just, it, you know, grief is the way it is. Uh, and I lost him in November, 2013. And uh, it was, you know, too soon. Cause it's always too soon. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it wasn't fun for him toward the end. Uh, so it was a couple of months later. I had a couple of other cats, uh, Remy and Katja. And Remy was Corny's buddy, even though Remy had been kind of a kitten when Corny was old. And like, you know, Corny never played with him as much as, as Remy wanted him to. Well, anyway, one of the things that I always remark on in hauntings is if the animals are reacting to something, uh, that's when you should really pay attention because it's not like they can tell themselves ghost stories. It's not like they can lie to themselves about what they're seeing. Mm -hmm. So I turned the corner in my house to go into my office where Corny would often hang out. And I was pretty sure that I saw him walking out of the, the office. And of course I go through the very normal, like, well, you're seeing him because you want to see him. Like, you know, all, all of the, like, mm, even though I'm a medium, even though like I totally see stuff all the time, I'm still like, yeah, but you know, you're still grieving. It's wish fulfillment. And then Remy walks around the corner, walks right up to him, touches noses and reacts as if Cornelius is there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's got to give you like such a, like a good feeling too. Uh, yeah. Oh, they're still there. That's yeah. Like yeah, as, so as I, weird as it is, like let's just say you moved far away. Could that experience still happen, even though it's mm -hmm. in a different house? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's you that they feel. It, like I said, geography is less important than intent, um, mm -hmm. than connection, and uh, the idea of a haunted house. Um, the, the trope is that like, and, and wow, American Horror Story has really kind of done a number on this. Is the idea that if you die in the house, that's where you haunt. Um, and that like certain places seem to like, you know, kind of catch hauntings and it's, it's more complicated than that. If, if someone dies in a place and they're really attached to that house, they may stay there, but it's by choice, but they may be just as anchored to a person and they can go with that person or they can move back and forth from that place. Uh, I, I think some of the going and coming back is traveling to other people or to other mm. places as well. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you move, the connection is with you. You're the anchor. Mm. They'll find you. They know what you feel like. That makes me happy because yeah. she's 15 and a half and I just lost her 
on October 9th, um, just a month and a half ago. And going to be grieving a long time. Uh, that's my best friend. And it's been really difficult. And one of the reasons I asked you about signs was that morning I woke up at 524 in the morning and her birthday is May 24th. And I, I never, I, I was just, I looked at the clock and I was like, what the heck? And then, so obviously I'm going to notice that's like, well, that's your birthday. And yeah. I just randomly wake up. And then a few hours later, I have another, um, there are two Huskies. I have another Husky that was younger, was sleeping in my bed. Just was, she woke up crying that morning. Mm -hmm. I had to wake her up. She was in the dream. And I was, I was like, I'm like, she knows. She has yeah. to know. I've never heard her cry in her dreams before. And so we, from your experience, I'm not asking you to answer that, but from your experience, that could be something. That, that really sounds like something. That really sounds like something. Like I said, when, especially when, when, when the animal also is reacting, like yeah. they, they can't make shit up to themselves. They don't, not yeah. in their nature too. I had to wake her up. She was crying. I felt terrible. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I should have let her kept dreaming. I don't know, but I heard my dog mm -hmm. crying in her sleep and I said, I, I better wake, wake her up. And I was, she, I was yeah. like, she knows, she knows. Yeah. Remy, Remy mourned and, you know, I just went, went around howling for him. And yeah, I totally, totally understand. Mm. It's, it, you know, there's no way to predict which animal is going to like really connect to you. Our, we, we lost, um, technically not my pet, the next door neighbors, uh, he's a vet and he had this dog Gunner, gorgeous, incredibly intelligent German shepherd. And Remy, who is just like everybody's buddy, he's a big fluffy Maine Coon. He's black and just, you know, a little fat, but you know, <laughs> he's happy. Uh, he, he and Gunner became best friends. Like they, they were like, they were buddies, like, like, Remy would insist to go insist on going outside and like they'd sniff each other and, and you know roll around and love each other and Gunner was 16 I think I mean like really quite old for a purebred purebred um and he he had to be put down over the summer mm -hmm. and Remy just keeps going to the door for him and do, do they know you might not know this. Like, do they know when it's like time to go and they're sick and then my owner has to put me down? Are they understanding of that? Yeah. I, I think they know a lot better. I think they, I think they understand a lot better than we do. Yeah, like, I think it's I really hard for us, but. I wasn't, I, I wasn't ready to do it. I it, still don't. It, <laughs> oh no, it's, it's, it's terrible. Like it is, it is the hardest kindness you can do for your companion animal the absolute hardest thing but also the necessary thing like there's yeah it was it was the hardest thing to do for cornelius too or i'd say about three or four days i would just start screaming out loud i'm so sorry i'm so sorry um yeah you know i'm hoping she would hear me because i you know i still feel terrible i'm tearing up a little bit now um no my my experience is they they do not view it as you doing violence to them they view it as you doing the kindness. That makes me feel better. <laughs> I didn't know which. I didn't know which way you were yeah. going to answer that question. And I feel, I feel a lot better. Um, nope, I've I, lost a number of pets. I actually talked with the neighbor about about Gunner. Um, they'd actually asked me to to help with, sort of like helping him mm. find his way and 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 do things. And and I had had a pretty interesting experience with that too. You know, they've, they've got two girls and the girls wanted to talk to me about, you know, where would Gunner go? And, you know, what, what do we do if we see him? The, the youngest one, um, 
I suspect the youngest daughter over there might be psychic as well. Mm. Uh, Gunnar had run off several years ago to just like, you know, we're in a neighborhood where it's not like he's going to get hurt, but um, we're all looking for him. And the littlest girl's like, well, I know he's okay. I can still hear him in my mind. Mm. Just matter of fact. Mm. And she's like, you know, three or four. And I'm like, yep, I remember being that kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's something special about that. Yeah. Random question. One I wanted to get to you real quick. Does everyone have this ability? And you just tune to a different level? Or do some people have it, some people don't? I think it's a very human capacity. And in the same way that, like, technically everybody should be able to see, um, some people don't see as well as others. Mm-hmm. I do think it's an ability that can be honed over time. But I think also we really get in our own ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our culture doesn't help. Like there's, there's so much that makes us question and makes us doubt and makes us wonder. And because there are definitely instant instances where we sort of think ourselves into experiences, mm-hmm. when it happens once, it means that we are less likely to trust when it does actually happen. Okay. Uh, so yes, I think just about everybody has this ability to some extent. Think, think about it uh, like this everybody's had the experience where they walk into a room where two people are arguing and those people aren't arguing anymore. They're not even in the room anymore, but you can feel something like there's, there's a a tightness or a something on the air. Uh, I think we react to psychic stuff more often and more readily than we ever realize. And it's so normal that unless there's something extraordinary, it never even crosses the threshold of belief. Like we're just, we just sort of like wander around experiencing stuff. Like, like I said earlier, if you're standing in a cemetery and you feel a hand on the back of your neck, you're like, oh, shit, that's a ghost. Yeah, yeah. But if you're standing in a subway, if you're at the mall, if you're at the store, and you feel somebody bump into you, it, you just kind of go about your day assuming it was somebody who bumped into you. Mm. We have a lot more experiences than we realize. Yeah, I, I, I'm figuring that out. Um, so... You know, I talked about pets, you know, seeing them again. So I can assume the same for people, seeing people again, right? Like their loved yeah. ones. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of them will hang around and wait for somebody because, again, time doesn't mean the same thing. Mm. Plenty of, you know, what, what's a couple of decades if you're waiting to see, you know, that, that grandkid grow up? So is it the people that are hanging around that we can, quote unquote, communicate with? And I want to know... Before you answer that, I want to tack on to like, what are your thoughts on like Ouija boards and EMF detectors, spirit boxes, stuff like that? Um, so yeah, I'll let you answer that. Yeah. I mean, the various tools that we use to communicate are a mixed bag. Um, I'll, I'll tackle, tackle the Ouija board first because it's, it's such a hot button issue. Uh, it's a tool and like any tool, it can be abused. I think the biggest danger with a Ouija board is that a lot of people will think themselves into an experience. Uh, it's very, very easy to move it through micro motions that you're not conscious of. And so, uh, you know, more likely than talking to a demon through a Ouija board, you're talking to your subconscious and a projection of your fears uh, or expectations. So, and, and, the same can be said with the spirit boxes, the K2 meters, a lot of that stuff. It, some of it relies so heavily on interpretation that if we're not very vigilant on learning like 
how do our minds work? How do we project our expectations into uh, the world around us? How do we interpret experience? Uh, we can mislead ourselves. That's not to say that there are not genuine experiences and genuine contact that happens there, but I think it always pays to be careful and to be analytical. Um, one of the things that I teach, you know, any other budding psychic who who learns from me, is like go into the experience with sort of like receptive to the experience. Don't divorce yourself from the expectation of success or of failure and simply have the experience. Don't try to interpret or judge or anything the experience while you're having it. But then like, like record as much as you can and then step back and analyze it and ask yourself like, what was I expecting? Um, you know, what, how was I front loaded? Like, how, what was my emotional state going into this? Like, how much did I know about this going into it? Could that have colored what I was perceiving? How much was me jumping to conclusions? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, experience in the moment, analyze the hell out of it afterwards. And, you know, what communicates with us? Lots of things. Uh, spirits especially deceased loved ones that have a connection to us, whether those loved ones are human beings or animal companions, are probably the likeliest to be around people to communicate and the most ready to communicate. They have an investment too. They already have a relationship with you. Uh, you know, spirits from like, you know, 300 years ago or 150 years ago that live in your house that don't really know you and don't care to know you are unlikely to interact unless you do something that they don't like. Uh, most most likely thing to get them to interact is to do repairs. Yeah, I was going to say renovate. Yeah. 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 Because now, you, now you're doing something that is important to them. You are affecting a thing that they're, if they're still in the house, mm. that house means something to them. Okay. There's an emotional investment and now you are infringing on that. And, and so they're going to, they're going to make their presence known. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I'm obviously, I'm loving these shows that you're on portals to hell. I do like watch like ghost adventures and stuff like that. It's very intriguing to watch this and say, I want to go do that. I want an experience like that. But there's also parts of it that say, this can be like kind of dangerous. Uh, would you agree? And like, who, who would you recommend maybe should pursue that and who shouldn't pursue that? Uh, my, my first rule of who shouldn't go ghost hunting is if you have recently suffered a loss of somebody very close to you, let yourself go through the stages of grief to a point where you're no longer just searching for answers to help fill the hole that the person or the, the pet has left. Like if, if you're dealing with loss, don't ghost hunt because you might be ghost hunting just to try to like come up with some sort of comfort, like, like find some other way to do that. Uh, otherwise, I don't think that it's dangerous necessarily to go to places, but I do think that you should pick and choose which ones you go to. Mm. Uh, you know, don't go to like Velisca Axe Murder House as like your first ghost hunting experience. <laughs> you know, some people will sort of err on the side of like, I've never felt anything, so I really want to feel something. Like, I want to be terrified. I, I, I want it to be the most intense, extreme experience possible. And that's a really good way to have a, a bad trip, <laughs> essentially. Right. Yeah. So 
go somewhere that is reliably haunted, that people that you trust, the people you have a good gut instinct about tell you, yes, things have happened here, but I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel unsafe. Like it's, uh, and there's plenty of places like that. Um, I can think of like uh, up here in Ohio, we've got so many haunted places. There's got to be something wrong with the state. <laughs> like so many. Um, but I've got friends who own Madison Seminary and it's a pretty reliably haunted place and generally not bad. Uh, I, I have a haunted Airbnb uh, in Oberlin, Ohio, and I have it to instruct people because mm. it's it's reliably haunted. It's it's surprisingly physical in its manifestations, and it's just a bunch of people who've lived in the house over the past 150 years who liked it so much they haven't moved out. <laughs> like, wow. you know, it's it's got about um, you know there've been about six people who've died in the house, but it's all old age. It's not, and and honestly it's like visiting old relatives like they just kind of toddle along they have some opinions about the drapery but you know there's nothing spooky really yeah that's actually a really good point because i guess my fear of like going to haunted places which kind of catches my eye a little bit is the fear of like something following me home mm. that would be the biggest thing and can you confirm that that can and will happen occasionally it, it can sometimes happen that you will be more interesting than anything else in that space and something will get curious and, and hang around for a little while. Mm. Uh, it's also possible if there's like a, a resonance, like a something about you reminds them about something and you are, you are, maybe you look like a dead relative. Maybe you look like somebody who insulted them once. And now that now you are a, a focus of interest. The other thing I want to warn people about, especially if ghost hunting is their first, like their, their first time ghost hunting, um, I have sometimes likened ghost hunting to deer hunting, if you've ever done that. You are sitting in a darkened place for a long period of time, wondering if that snap is anything significant, mm -hmm. and you're cold, and you're bored, and five hours may go by and you will see nothing at all. And, and, and that's yeah. a true true case about ghost hunting as well like residual hauntings are the ones that are more likely to um, be reliably active mm -hmm. um, not necessarily like an intelligent haunting but a place that has a build up of a lot of different emotion and events gettysburg is a great example of that okay. uh, there are some intelligent spirits there but mostly what you get at gettysburg is a kind of imprint of what happened there and it sort of plays over and over and over again. Okay. Uh, when you go to a place that has intelligent spirits, human ghosts or whatever, free will is still, still a thing. So they may not want to talk to you. Mm -hmm. They may want to be left alone. They may be really, really over being basically a sideshow. Mm. So you will get mixed results. And sometimes they, they like one person and they don't like another person. And... It might just be the way that you behaved. It could be the way you dressed and it could have nothing to do with you whatsoever. It's just the day that they don't want to talk to anybody. Now I'm curious. So a while ago, a while back in this conversation, you said Ed and Lorraine Warren, have you ever been to the conjuring house? Cause that's what they're known for. For sure. I mean, one of many cases, obviously. I have not been to the conjuring house. I've worked with Lorraine um, and I, I've gotten to see some of her haunted objects. And I actually had uh, a fairly extensive 
polite argument with her about a Ouija board on a case uh, because we found a Ouija board under the eldest daughter's bed at one point. Uh, and this was a paranormal state case. And Lorraine suddenly like reversed a lot of her interpretation of what was going on. Except the Ouija board, I didn't think had to do with anything. So we just kind of sat down and talked about like, okay, are Ouija boards inherently evil? Is the fact, you know, it's in a box, nobody's using it. Does, is it still a portal? Um, and, you know, we, we, we agreed. There were definitely points where we still disagreed, but I got her to a point where she was willing to go and talk to the eldest daughter to see, did this have any significance at all? And, and the answer was it didn't. It, it was actually a gift that she'd gotten from a deceased aunt. Okay. So are you a believer that haunted objects can carry um, energy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and there are haunted objects. I think that there are fewer objects that have an intelligent haunting attached to them than I think a lot of the books and movies would suggest. Okay. Uh, my, my most widespread experience with haunted objects involves, again, residual haunting, like a lot of energy attached to something, like somebody's favorite wedding ring that was passed down generations. Okay. And you just feel a lot of like what, what is sort of built into that. One of the places I've been to more recently was the Haunted Museum in Vegas, the Zach Bagans, um, mm. like with the Dybbuk box, um, I, the Devil's Rocking Chair from the Conjuring House. Um, do you have any, like, any opinions, any thoughts on that? Um, do you believe that they, they do carry energy? Um, I think that they can. And uh, I haven't personally interacted with any of those objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Dybbuk box in particular, like there's... <sighs> That one sort of falls in the same wibbly to me space as Native American burial grounds because uh, a Dybbuk and the whole, everything surrounding Dybbuk's is very specific to Jewish belief and Jewish mysticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wouldn't feel comfortable assessing something as connected to a Dybbuk without a rabbi mm-hmm. or, or to, to actually say like, this is definitely that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know are there haunted objects yes yeah. uh, have i met people who have collections i mean i've, I've got a couple myself uh at, at inspiration house we have this little fisher price toy that uh just plays on its own and at first i was convinced that it was broken just the right way like it was uh i i'm old enough i grew up with one of these it's like a, it looks like a little tv and it plays london bridge and row 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 your boat and it's got like a little <laughs> dial that you thing and it just has this thing that kind of like well anyway so and it just will play randomly Mm -hmm. um only not really randomly like it we've we've noticed it seems to play in greeting when people first walk into the house and it will often kind of seem to respond to people intelligently wow i've poked at it i've shaken it i've like twisted it up i've jumped up and down i've tried uh, and teams have been in there playing around with it too um, and it seems like it's more than just broken the right way. Like the, so, so yeah, there's, there's haunted objects. You feel that dolls are a more haunted object because they have such a, like a human life form to it? Uh, well, I think that people have expectations of dolls being haunted. And I also think that I actually, my, my theory on haunted dolls is actually pretty complicated. So there are sort of two layers to that. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of pop culture portrayal to give us the expectation that a doll is haunted. Mm-hmm. 
and so in the same way that we go to a cemetery and we're thinking about ghosts, or at least dead people, uh, when people see a lot of dolls sort of arranged, it, it, it hits that uh, reaffirmed idea of like creepy doll, creepy doll, creepy doll. Right. But there's usually a grain of truth to a lot of things. So think about you know, what's a residual haunting? It's the, it's the energy that soaks into a thing. It's the energy that's like projected into a thing. Uh, so a doll or a toy that a child had, think about especially like things that are really important to kids, like six and under and like the intensity with which they'll carry them around. They'll project a story onto them. They'll make them real in their minds. Mm-hmm. Now that may not be necessarily an actual intelligent haunting, but who's to say that you don't pick up the personality, the, the, the energy, the emotions that were imbued in that object mm. over the years that it was important to the child? Mm. Okay. I think most of the things that we think of as haunted dolls are more dolls that carry a lot of residual energy from the people to whom they were important. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Now... You have a book called The Dictionary of Demons. Yep. What is, can you give me your definition? You're obviously very knowledgeable in this area. What is a demon? What's a good definition? Well, if we're talking paranormal, uh, a, a spirit, and, you know, what would I define as a demon? I have a, I have a series of, of boxes that have to be checked. Uh, non-human doesn't seem like it's ever been a human entity. Um, demonstrably like you know alien in the way that it thinks and acts and interacts with people intelligent usually hyper intelligent uh, malicious and malevolent like when it interacts it is vicious it's it's mean it's it's cunning uh, manipulative and the, the fourth thing is that it's fixated on human beings like for some reason that malevolence, that maliciousness has a target and that target is us. Now, anything beyond it, like the theological interpretation of like, is this something that is a damned being? Is it from hell? Uh, I could get into the folkloric and mythological aspect of that. You know, what are different society and cultural beliefs? But personally, I hesitate to like, define it when I encounter something like that. Uh, Are there very occasionally, very rare spirits that hit those check boxes? Yes, but I can count my experiences with things like that pretty much on one hand. Mm. Um, The, the, again, pop culture has sort of led us to expect anything that's a little shadowy, anything that's a little mean, anything that we misinterpret is, you know, it must be a demon. Um, I think it's attacking me. It must be a demon. And that's that's not quite the case. It was a demon. Now, I was gonna. I'm sorry for cutting you off. Keep oh, going. Good, good. I was gonna say, is a demon like related to Satan somehow, or are they just completely different beings? I mean, it it really varies on your interpretation of what where all of that fits. Uh, what I can say, and, and where the dictionary demons take takes me, and also my my religious studies background is. This idea of beings that are non-human and bigger than humans and intelligent and malicious and bent on causing disease and chaos and calamity 
is much older than Christianity and even older than Judaism and goes all the way back to uh, Sumer and Babylon, at least as far as what we think of as Western civilization. Uh, they're talked about and rites of exorcism and descriptions of possession can be found in the cuneiform tablets that date back 4,000, 5,000 years. So it's, it's an ancient concept. And, you know, I wrote the Dictionary of Demons less to debate the theology of it and more to explore that folkloric aspect of it. Like, this is something that people have believed in. It's something that we've told stories about. And it's something that has recurred throughout our, our cultural mythology for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. So what are those stories that we've told ourselves um, on the theory that maybe people can find the grain of truth behind it. Uh, because it is something that's tied to religion for most people, that's why I, I feel like I don't have a place to say one way or the other, you know, is it, is it a damned being? Is it connected to Satan or the devil? Um, that will depend on whether or not you believe in those things. So I, and I usually, don't think it's my, yeah. And I don't think it's my place to say what somebody should or shouldn't believe. So I usually like to read the book of the person I'm interviewing beforehand. But I actually, I, I was curious. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that it was thick. It was the fact that, is it, is it something, am I opening up something by reading that and mm. putting energy and thought into that? That one, no. Um, so, so to go back to, like the, again, Sumer and Babylon, we've got, at this point, the popularized notion that if you say the name, you're somehow inviting it into your life. Mm -hmm. And that leaves out a whole bunch of stuff that's even in the Bible about how you have power over demons. If you think about the story between um, Jesus and, and the Gerasene man who has, it, it's the story where we get like, I am legion, for we are many, uh, and he you know, casts them out into the, the bunch of pigs and whatnot. In that story, Jesus asks specifically for the name of the demon, because at that time and before that time, to exercise something, to banish it, to compel it, to clear it out, you needed its name. Having its name gave you more power over it. Mm. And that was the, the premise of, of the Dictionary of Demons, was having the names, it doesn't make you a victim at all. Having the names gives you more ability to, to drive this out, to have control over it. And, and learning where some of those names comes from, uh, come from is, is pretty important as well. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, that's interesting for these beings to have a name if they've never been human. So that is super interesting. <laughs> there's there's some, some really weird, twisty stuff to like, there's some neat rabbit holes that, hmm. that um, so with the Dictionary of Demons, I focused primarily on things that were explicitly defined as either demons, fallen angels, or evil spirits um, in Western European literature, uh, specifically books that were called grimoire. So, so there were these magic books about how to summon and compel and bind these spirits. Uh, some of these books were written by clergy, by popes even. Um, and you know, they come down to us from, well, the tradition comes down or is related to King Solomon, and that's a kind of a whole conversation by itself. Uh, but there's really so many of them that I had to like 
make a really clear set of boundaries for like, I will only source material from this time to this time, because otherwise I'd have a 10 volume set that would rival the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> Is there a, like a hierarchy as far as like demons and maybe the, the level mm. of danger? There are multiple beliefs in demonic hierarchies, most of which are thought to echo uh, the nine spheres uh, of angels. So, so there are three heavenly spheres or seven heavenly spheres, depending on the system. And most of the demonic hierarchies that have come down to us in various aspects of literature uh, basically show a kind of like a dark reflection of those same hierarchies. So where you've got like angels and principalities and powers, dominions, uh, seraphim, cherubim, etc. You, you've got an equal and opposite ladder going down. Mm. Um, but uh, having you know, poked around in all of those, none of them agree. <laughs> like, I, I'd, I'd love to say that there was a consistency there, but there, there simply isn't. Uh, they, everybody has a different idea of like, who's in charge of what, uh, and it might be Satan according to one scholar and it's lucifer according to another and a third book will say that those are one and the same mm. and uh if you go back to uh the dead sea scrolls or um the, the qumran manuscripts which predate christianity by a couple hundred years it's uh belial and belial is like the head of the armies of darkness with michael at the head of the armies of light mm. and that whole idea of this this ongoing battle between darkness and light goes back to um, the first place that we see it written down, like coherently, is the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's pretty cool. And from your experience, and obviously your writings and your research and your books, demons are a thing. Like for you, that's one hundred percent fact. With the caveat of I don't know what I would call them I, within the context of theology, but mm -hmm. are there spirits that fit? fit the description that has come mm -hmm. down to us yes there there are some things where it's like okay i don't know what else to call this but a demon okay i will also say that i've encountered things where i'm like i don't know what else to call this but an angel so mm -hmm. it's there's reasons why we have these stories yeah i, I want to get to the angel thing in a minute but i'm curious about the whole demon so w what has been your experiences with demons and like where were they as well uh well folks who watch paranormal state know that uh there were a couple of cases that they investigated that were suspected to be uh, demonic possession. Mm -hmm. uh, I had pretty early on made the request to not be involved in the demonic possession cases, not because I didn't believe in them, but because, and not because I was afraid, but I didn't want to uh, be put in a position where I would be arguing with them on camera because I have a really, really strict definition of okay, this is probably demonic, and this is, okay, it's dark, it's evil, but I don't think it's actually a demon, guys. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's not to say that I wasn't often behind scenes talking with Father Bob. Uh, honestly, Father Bob is one of the reasons why the Dictionary of Demons even exists, is he was asking for a compendium of names to go off of. Hmm. Um, there was a case in Rochester, New York, and I don't know if it ever actually made it to we, we had a couple of cases that we did and that we filmed and either during filming or shortly thereafter the family rescinded permission uh and so 
you know, I had the experience of like being there doing the psychic thing, maybe being there for dead time. And then it's just, it never makes it anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, so I've never seen this one as an episode. I don't know if I just missed it. Um, and whatever was going on seemed like legitimate, like demonic obsession, if not full on possession. And I don't know what else to call what we were dealing with. Uh, there, we were called in because it was a husband and wife. She was experiencing uh, a whole lot of things, but including um, scratches and like like th something physically attacking her. Yeah. Uh, which you know, of course, once it es escalates to that, people are just like, "Fuck, get it out of my house!" Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so our understanding was she was the focus that that she was the person who was being you know haunted or attacked by this. And we were led to believe that her husband didn't really believe in any of it. Uh, you know, I got there, I did my, my, my blind walkthrough, and it definitely felt like there was like, like almost like an enormous eye, like just this, this enormous thing that was bigger than I was willing to like really kind of perceive, just sort of hanging over the house. Mm. And it had this patient feel, like, it knew that we were there. It knew that we were going to only be there for a short while and it could wait. Huh. It could just outweigh us. It didn't care. Um, and, and so like that was, you know, Ryan's like, well, do you think you you can do anything with it? And I'm like, and I, I'm, I'm pretty badass for a lot of stuff, but I'm like, I really don't want to tangle with that. Like, that's not something when I, I want to piss off. Um, did you so visualize did, anything? Because I know like when people think demons, they think of a like goat man or horns and mm, stuff like that. This was just big. Um, big and, and the sense of, of being watched. An alien. Um, just mm. nothing that personal or, or, or even that human. We did dead time. And of course, at that point, the blindfold is off. And... You know, it's always a whirlwind for me. Like I sometimes get introduced to people, but you know, for the whole walkthrough, like they keep me sequestered. So I don't know, you know, I haven't met the family at that point. I haven't been introduced to like any other aspects of the client. Half the time, I don't even know the crew that's on there. Um, so I, I get kind of like dumped into dead time. And I, at this point, had been introduced to the woman because she wanted to, you know, have some uh, input about the scratches and whatnot. And I had been introduced to what I thought was her husband. And this was before like a lunch break. This will make sense in a moment. So we sit down at the dining room table and start filming, trying to communicate with this to figure out like what it wants, because of course that's a conversation you're supposed to have with a demon. Yeah, but it's TV. So that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm trying to figure out who this other guy who walked in and sat at the head of the table was because I hadn't been introduced to him. Mm. And as we're doing all this stuff, I'm watching like these shadows, like scurl over his face. Like, and, and I'm like trying to see if there's no, there's nothing. There's like nowhere that that's coming from. And his face keeps like weirdly changing. And I'm like, okay. And nobody else seems to be noticing it. And I'm like, okay, Ryan, right. I, I ask us to like, you know, stop it. I'm like, who the fuck is that guy? Uh. He's like, well, you met him earlier. That's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, he does not look like that guy. So I describe what I'm seeing. And Ryan just sort of like looks at me like I'm maybe have gone, gone like, you know, a little bit off my, my, uh, off my blindfold. But I, I, we go back. 
And I call the guy out um, because it becomes, it is clear to me at that point that it's, if anyone is possessed, it's the husband. Mm. Mm. And he is a participant in this. Uh, and I called him out about it and I'm, he gets real funny. Uh, they shut down what we're doing. And the next thing I know, we're just not allowed to do anything else. So, wow. Um, I don't know how that ended for her or for him. I don't know, but it was, it was a really messed up situation. And they just set you on your way and you went right back home and that was yep. that. that that's, that's pretty typical. Just, you know, get on the airplane. See you. Bye. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I occasionally am curious about like what exactly was going on and, and how things played out. But that one, I've never heard anything back. Now, when you're trying to communicate, what's the purpose of communicating with a demon? And is the best way to do it like in a Ouija board? Is that why people use oh, them? I mean, for TV, the purpose is for entertaining people who want to see you talk to a demon. Which, <laughs> let me just say, is not necessarily the smartest thing to do. Right. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I imagine. <laughs> in theory, in theory, what we were trying to do and what we were supposed to be doing is, A, assess the nature of the haunting. B, if we think that there's a spirit, assess the nature of the spirit. C, what can we do for this family to end this haunting? Mm -hmm. Which, if B led to, we think it's a demon, usually meant um, two things. Call in a psychologist or a psychotherapist to do a full assessment and, and work up to make sure that everybody is, uh, you know, okay, that there's no schizophrenia, to, to like rule out that stuff. Also to assess the level of psychological trauma people are experiencing because when when exorcism, when possession specifically kind of comes into play, there's a, there's a lot that goes on for people. They've been going through a lot. And then, of course, call in um, clergy of ideally the belief system of the people you're working with. Hmm. So if it's Catholics, you call in a Catholic priest. If it's Baptists, you call in you know, somebody who works within their faith and can speak to their faith because it's their faith that's going to be kind of called upon to like try to you know remove this attachment to, to push send this thing packing have you witnessed and or been to an exorcism before yes yeah I, i've assisted uh a couple of things with father bob father bob bailey he had me translating uh it, in one case he had me listening because he he wasn't a medium he couldn't hear things talking with him uh and what he had asked me to do was if uh, the spirits he was dealing with responded, even mm -hmm. if they were mocking him, to tell him what they said. Did that work? I had to, I felt, I felt really bad personally, um, translating word for word. Uh, so a few times I was just like, yeah, they're being mean, but they were, yeah, they were, uh, they would, what, they were what you would kind of expect. Mm. Where was that location? Ah. Uh, Jersey, somewhere in New, somewhere in New Jersey. Huh. Is it this was all... at a house that had a, 
like this big propeller on the wall fell off and almost hit Katrina. Oh, wow. Is this, yeah, how do they get through? Is this, is this portal related? Like how they travel from place to place? Uh, I mean, portals are, again, something that, when you say portal, you think that there's like just a door in reality that like is fixed and like opens up or closes or is like, you know, kind of like a swirling thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Some places are softer than others, but it shifts and it's not always consistent. So sometimes where a lot of tragedy happened, where uh, like a, 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 an especially brutal thing occurred, uh, it sort of starts to attract similar things and can become what we've sort of popularly agreed on calling a portal. But it's, it's less, you know, that a certain location is a hellmouth, and more that those layers I was talking about, like intersect unevenly all over the world. And certain spaces can be more uh, proof against things moving in and out and certain places are like a tear in reality okay now we've been talking about demons and you you brought up angels have you had experiences with angels and if so what was that like you don't hear about those you hear about the demonic possessions and stuff yeah i i i've definitely interacted with some things that for lack of a better term i would call an angel and they're um they're more about will and order uh, than they are in my experience uh, about like, just like love fuzzy. Uh, they're, they're, they're not like, I don't know, happy new age housewives giving you a hug. They're, they're very ferocious. Oh, wow. Do they battle with demons? I mean, I don't know if this is getting kind of weird and sci-fi here, but like, do they ever have interactions with demons? I mean, I've seen people call upon one to drive out the other. Um, and again, I think that that comes down to faith, a person's particular religious system, uh, and exactly like, you know, what you call upon for help. Hmm. But yeah, it it gets, it gets complicated because again, my, my perception of things, (sighs) oh, it gets, it gets really tangly. Um, because there's a lot of theological questions that are inevitably raised when we use words like angel and demon. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's important to, to clarify that I view the words as we don't have anything better for calling this thing okay. this. Okay. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's big. It seems to be on our side. It seems to be really intelligent and really powerful. And, you know, there's, there's a thin line between is it a pissed off angel or is it what we're going to call a demon? Uh, I'll go with angel. Cause it seems nice today. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean like with a Christmas and holiday season coming around, we all think of like Harka Herald angels. And, oh yeah. Like, no, here, yes, you think of, reason. yeah, there's a reason why in the Bible angels always say, be not afraid. Mm. Mm. Yeah. This is, this is probably <laughs> the most interesting conversation I've had in quite some time. And I, I'm loving it. I know I've, I've kept you here long enough. Um, it's got a couple more questions for you. Okay. Like, um, not, I'm, I'm not going to participate in any rituals, but do rituals work and how, how so if they do? Okay. So, so do rituals work? Does prayer work? Does yeah, uh, the rite of transubstantiation work? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ritual is simply a, a set of 
actions performed with intent, often with faith behind them, to accomplish something, to try to like reach out to something more than the physical world. Mm -hmm. uh, you have rituals in religious systems all over the world. You have rituals as part of magical systems all, all, over, all over the world. And like so many other things, it really depends on the person who's doing it, mm -hmm. the intent behind it, uh, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing. Um, does ritual work? Yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. And uh, that's not to say that every ritual somebody sits down to do works. And I think it's important to try to figure out like what, what are we, what do we think when we say ritual? Are, are we talking about, uh, you know, casting a circle and lighting a bunch of candles and trying to like summon something in the middle? Um, because most of the rituals that I've participated in or witnessed are more about healing, are, are more about uh, calling in a positive energy, uh, doing something to protect people. Uh, and, and so, again, language and the words that we use and pop culture portrayals uh, can can mislead us i think one of the most important things that i managed to to like pass on to lorraine warren before she died was the most important thing when we're dealing with clients especially or somebody's paranormal experience and they say i think that it's a demon or i'm, I'm using a ouija board you need to talk to them and find out what does that word mean to you hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense um what is the most haunted place you have ever been to and or maybe want to go to and i just mean mm. like freaking crazy haunted and i won't go <laughs> we'll put it down. Well, the most astoundingly active place was a property that my college owned uh that we used to do haunted locations on um and was just off the chain for weird stuff up in Jaga County, Ohio. Um, but in terms of places that people would be able to go, um, one of the other ones that was like overwhelmingly full of stuff, both residual hauntings and otherwise, was Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. That one was very, very intense. Is that West Virginia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And I was, I was just at another location that I actually can't talk about and i am hoping that i am able to talk about it soon because it was also intense but but in a very different way like mm. like trans allegheny was like there was just piles and piles of bad like just layers of terrible experiences um and this was something very different uh a, a real privilege to be able to to perceive and interact with if i'm being honest and Like there's a lot going on there and mm. not bad, like not bad stuff. Like that's, mm. I think one of the things that people think about, like you think about a haunting and you think about the bad ones yeah, because they're the ones that leave the biggest impression, but there's some fantastic hauntings. Also, um, the French Quarter in New Orleans, uh, you can't turn the corner without running into some space that has residual energy or a spirit attached to it it's it's pretty incredible but not in like a jump out and scare you sort of way and just like there's a lot of history just walked and, and and trod into the 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 streets of the french quarter is that the history there or is that i i believe louisiana if not new orleans in particular is really big on voodoo um is that why um 
I wouldn't say I wouldn't say so. Um, I mean, voodoo is a part of it. It's part of the heritage down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be just by dint of how old a lot of the buildings are uh, and how they've kind of retained a lot of their their original. It's there's just something about the French Quarter, and it might be the space, it might be the land that it's built on, it might be the the special intersection of people who have lived in it over time, uh, from you know, the Catholics with St. Louis Cathedral to the practitioners of, of voodoo and all of the hoodoo and the homegrown beliefs and all of that weird swamp magic that just seems to seep in from down there. Um, but there's, there's something interesting about that space. Uh, and there's a lot of layers to it mm-hmm. and a lot of different flavors to the sort of spirit stuff that you can run into down there. Okay. I can, I can go all night. We can go do a list of things. <laughs> Out of curiosity, let's just say I made an appointment or whatever. You can book appointments. I saw that Trans Allegheny Lunatic. You you can get like tours. If I were to go there, what's like one or two things that I should bring with me to capture evidence that you would recommend? I'm a really boring ghost hunter. Uh, an open mind. <laughs> yeah. An open mind. Um, yeah. And a notebook, like something to write stuff down. Hmm. Uh, beyond that, like the the tech is really personal, uh, something that you're comfortable with. Don't go out and buy something with a lot of bells and whistles that you are not familiar with using. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't know how to tell if it's actually working or if the batteries just ran out. Um, if you have equipment that you use uh, for, for paranormal investigation, make sure it's equipment that you are familiar with, that you've used for a while, and you know its quirks. Mm-hmm. You know when it's working, you know how to tell when it's just malfunctioning, Mm-hmm. And you're better able then to tell when you really get something. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I think the last thing I want to touch on real quick, because you brought up way back in the beginning, was energy work. What exactly is that? And I feel like energy is just a generic term we use all the time. Maybe you could explain. Mm-hmm. Oh, it totally is. Um, energy work is any type of, well, okay, so we're, we're beings of both body and spirit. And we know this because when we die, part of us, you know, is just goes back to ashes to ashes, et cetera. And then there's a part of us that can hang around. And energy is just sort of like a big umbrella term. You know, the ghosts are made of energy. They, They exist on a plane of energy. I don't know how woogity that starts to sound, but. Actually, let me dial it back. Energy work is generally a type of healing. Um, and it is about harnessing the life force and the life energy that we all carry in ourselves. And we see energy work when people do lay, lay on the hands. Uh, Reiki, Qigong, um, energy work is part of yoga. And again, it is a, a very generic blanket term for this the strange capacity that humans seem to have, uh, and I would argue more than just humans, but that we can harness with intention to direct, usually for positive healing uh, techniques. And it is connected to breath and to will uh, and to life force. And a lot of people can kind of feel like they pull it into their hands and convey it to others, either through touch or over a distance. 
can you sense people's energy? Like when you meet them, like this is, they have really good energy, positive or negative? Yeah, I mean, honestly, my, my, my ability to perceive energy and the energy work I do is, is kind of part and parcel of how I perceive my psychic abilities work. Okay. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm picking up on energy. Energy conveys information. It carries emotion. It carries sometimes thoughts. And like all of those impressions that I get at places is me interpreting this, these layers of energy that have built up in that space that sometimes move like currents through the space. And occasionally those energies are our spirits. Now, on a lot of these television shows, we see like orbs. Uh, are, do you believe in orbs? Is, is that energy? Or what are your thoughts on that? I'm skeptical of most orbs because, well, well first of all, I can't, I can't say 100% because I am not a photographic expert. Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of orb stuff, there's a lot of orbs that are dust. And a lot of folks who are really hopeful with, with orbs, I think one of the things when it comes to trying to get like physical evidence of, of spirits and, and paranormal phenomena is we're all looking for a holy grail. We're looking for like that one thing that we can point at and say mm -hmm. definitively, this, this aspect of the world exists because I have snapped this one photo. And, and the thing is, is we can pick all of the experiences apart. We can pick all the photos apart, every EVP. Uh, you can find fault with everything, um, especially if you are determined to just not believe in any of it. Mm -hmm. so, so at the end of the day, the most important thing to me is always, what does it mean to you and what does it do for your life to believe? It is really nice to hear the skeptical side of you as well. It's like, it just makes it way more credible. Cause if you were like, Oh yeah, that's something. And yeah, that's something that like, I would be like, this is a little out of hand, but yeah, it's really nice to hear that scientific and skeptical side of your beliefs. And it's uh, like yeah. I said, I'm a problematic psychic because I'm actually pretty skeptical about stuff. And there's a lot of things I won't commit to unless I've personally experienced them. And my experiences always come with the caveat of, well, this is what I perceived and this is what I'm going to call it, but uh, mm. let's agree to call it a demon because that's what culturally this seems to fit, but who actually knows what that's supposed to be? Right. Um, so I have a question, a personal one. So I messaged to my sister um, that I was going to have a conversation with you, and she was beyond super close to my grandma that I mentioned earlier that passed away, and she was there at the time that she was starting the past. She mentions, I'm gonna read a text message. She said what she saw was blue lights or rays of beams of lights when she was on top of her and closed her eyes. Um, do you have any idea? I, I wanna ask for her. Do you have any idea what that may have been, if anything? I mean, interestingly, when, when I see energy, um, it's not necessarily like I'm physically seeing something, first of all. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more like I close my eyes or in my mind's eye, uh, there's this perception of often blue white, um, almost like, like moonlight on water kind of color okay, uh, or a sort of like warm gold. And I don't, I, I can't say if that is, you know, personal interpretation of something that kind of exists beyond the bounds of color and light and sight. Uh, I think that we end up using, I think a lot of what we're perceiving 
the best way our brains are wired to interpret it is as light, is as energy, is as color, uh, because there's nothing else that comes close, mm. even though it's technically none of those things. It's something that's beyond our five physical senses. Uh, when I perceive energy like that with people, around people, um, it can either be energy that is radiating from them. Um, it may be the person projecting out of their body. Uh, and it depends really on the situation and on whether or not, you know, was I in the room and did somebody else see it? Can I compare notes with someone? Uh, I don't think that was the you know, case in this instance. Cause I, I remember yeah. her saying she had her eyes closed and she was laying on top with, with her yeah. hands on her. And she says something, she goes, um, from what she's read, she's just not sure. Um, she's a, when someone passes, St. Michael takes you to the other side. Like, I, I can't really comment on that, but I'm just saying what No, it's, it's, it's a popular Catholic belief. Yeah. Like I guess that we grew up Catholic, so, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a popular ca Catholic belief. Uh, Michael, or one of the other angels, comes and, and acts as kind of like your psychopomp. Mm. So, overall, that was a very positive, I would say it's a very positive experience that she had. Yeah. What, what I will say is, I, I have only positive associations with that blue white color with those like rays and like waves of light. Like that's for me always has been connected to healing, to power, um, to, to positive energy. So that's great. That's the best I can say for sure. <laughs> I like hearing positive things, especially about my family. So that's really good. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I think we can wrap this up. I mean, I can literally have you here for another five hours and keep going down the rabbit hole. Um, unless there's something that you want to chat about. Um, I would say the only question that comes to my mind is you've kind of made them seem like they are legit. Like these paranormal shows that we are watching, at least the ones you've been on, they are legit or they, they dramatize. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So I think the most important people or the, the most important thing for people who are watching them is to keep in mind that it is television. It is entertainment. And even if the teams are 100% legit, they still have to deal with production and production companies and editors and directors. Mm -hmm. uh, now there's, I always tell people, if your bullshit meter is going off, listen to that. Yeah. And just understand that, well, actually what I can say for sure is, is this. With Paranormal State, on the ground with the show, uh, there was never any script. The The closest anybody came to a script was there would be like a kind of an outline of from production of like, Ryan's going to go and talk to the client here and mm, yeah. we're going to go do research here and Michelle's going to come in and do psychic stuff here. Like that was, and I actually learned that they had some, some poor person, this was her job description, was she had earphones where she had every single person's mic wired to her. And she had to listen to what everybody said all the time and just type it all out like a court reporter. Oh, wow. And like they, they, the script came from that. So they pretty much just mic'd us and let us go. And, and this poor person just sat there typing frantically. <laughs> and I didn't even know she existed, but I, I sometimes use some big words. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think in that particular episode, like I, I rattled off a bunch of Latin and she 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 comes over she's like okay i didn't catch this and what did you say for blah 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 and i'm like who are you 
oh, she's like, oh, well, I'm the little, and I, I sit over there in that, that SUV and like, this is my job. <laughs> oh. oh, well, yeah, I guess. That, so, so anyway, um, with Paranormal State, with, with the ones that I've worked on, the, they're the only ones I feel comfortable saying, mm-hmm. I have not seen anyone fake anything. Mm-hmm. I know those people. I trust that they are sincere in what they are believe uh, on what they believe and what they're presenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they may misinterpret uh, information. Like like there are people where and I mean humans. This is the information that they have. Everybody's belief system, everybody's cultural background may lead them to different conclusions. And then beyond that, I don't know. There are definitely some shows out there that I'm kind of like. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. But in the same vein, like I've had some experiences and I've done some walkthroughs like on portals, portals to hell, particularly uh, when I did the walkthrough on trans Allegheny lunatic asylum in West Virginia. And I found out how accurate a bunch of that was my first thought. And I, I, I just, you know, said it right to the crew was if I were watching it, I wouldn't believe it. Mm. And I, like, I will forgive anybody who's just like, oh, well, they told her ahead of time. Because if I were watching it, it, it would really bend my credibility. Like, mm-hmm. like, I would have a hard time believing that anybody could have picked stuff up like that. So I, I remember that episode. That was a freaking amazing episode. That's what made me look to where, where is this and can I visit it? And you can. Yeah. You actually can. <laughs> yeah, that, that one, I'm, I'm constantly learning. Well, uh, and the portals to hell... Uh, I love Jack and Katrina really, really respect my process and how strict I am about it because other shows like, I think assume that it's actually, you know, more of a flash and dazzle than genuine. Mm -hmm. And so they'll be like, Oh, well, when do you want us to tell you about the place? And I'm like, no, seriously, I want to know nothing about the location. Don't talk to me about it. Don't talk about it around me. Like put me in a hotel 50 miles away from it if you can like nothing awesome um but uh finding folks that are willing to like actually bend over backwards with that enforce it with the crew uh and and put up with you know basically leading my happy ass around uh haunted asylums and abandoned prisons blindfolded <laughs> trying to like keep me from whacking my head on things <laughs> Jack has gotten fantastic at like you know letting me know oh there's something that you're gonna trip on over here just you know lift your leg up mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so cool they seem like good people too like they're, they seem down to earth which is when i watch that show it's like they're relatable i like watching this i i'm genuinely i mean i've always liked katrina and uh, i genuinely like jack he's 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 been through a lot and he's really no bullshit. Um, and he is not afraid to call bullshit. And he's got enough behind him that he's not, a, it's not like he's risking anything mm. to call yeah. things out. Like, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if they're coming out in a new season. Maybe you do, but I, I'm looking forward to it. And it's on the DVR. <laughs> so, there, there might be stuff going yeah, on. There might be. All right. All right. Yep. So, speaking things of things that I'm not allowed to talk about because I signed right. a piece of paper, but yeah, yeah there's, there's some stuff. Awesome. Well, so speaking of future things, uh, before we let you go, is there anything we can expect from you in the future? Oh, uh, let's see. I well, Dictionary of Demons comes out in soft cover, I think, in May of next year. Okay. Uh, and it's weirdly on audiobook. I actually might get that. I do like my audiobooks. I might um, want to get that. <laughs> I did not record it, and and like 
it's like the last of my books that I would have ever considered doing to audiobook, but but there it is. It's on audiobook, so. And the ratings are really good on Amazon too. Is that the best place to buy it, or would you say your website is? Um, I because of like everything with the mail system, I'm just letting Amazon handle the hardbacks because I don't want stuff getting lost. Okay. Yeah. And Amazon's much better at like just yeah the the deals that they've got with Prime and shipping and whatnot. So right now, no, don't buy it from my website. There's all of my other books are up there. Sign them, send them off to you, whatever. The music and uh, like the tarot deck I've got and the contemplation cards and just a ton of stuff um, and oh uh, if people want to learn from me uh, I teach stuff uh, I do regular like, regular classes and especially because of COVID and lockdowns have been transferring a lot of that to digital mm. um, and just you know zoom and whatnot uh, I have a patreon uh, and it's patreon.com slash haunted and if you want to learn about psychic stuff and learn about my process and uh, learn how to protect yourself and uh, actually even give me ideas for like what book should I be writing next? Hmm. That's, that's the place to go. Well, obviously you're <laughs> very intelligent on many areas. And so the website is michellebellinger.com, correct? And yep. for the people who are listening, it's, it looks like Bellinger, but it's yeah. Bell and Jay. So anybody's looking to go to the website, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the, uh, in the post of this as well. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to publicize in social media or anything? Or I mean, I'm, I'm Seth Anakim on uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all over the place. And that might be harder to spell than Bellinger. <laughs> if you want to spell it, now's the time to do it. I'll, like uh, I said, I'll put a link in the yeah. Instagram post too. S-E-T-H-A-N-I-K-E-E-M is the handle that I have all of my social media under. Um, awesome. I think, yeah, Instagram too. It, it, was, it was an online handle and it stuck and every version of my name is parked everywhere. So mm. Seth Anakim it is. There you go. Yeah, it's funny how things like AOL and Messenger back in the day sticks with some people <laughs> type of thing. Yep. <laughs> well, this has been freaking amazing. I might not have a conversation this cool in a long time. I've learned so much and but yeah there's still so much mysticism to it and questions and which i think is also makes it fun if you didn't have all the answers maybe you wouldn't enjoy it so mm. much and no i don't i don't have all the answers i've got theories i've had experiences mm -hmm. that have informed those theories but do i know anything for 100 percent? yeah nah. and i'd question anybody who tells you for certain right. like they know exactly how it is exactly and i do know like I said in the beginning, part of this was giving people somewhat of, I don't know, a, a knowledge and, I don't know, insight into you and to what you believe happens to, you know, our loved ones after they pass. And I feel, you know, really, you, you can't say 100%, but I feel really good about what you said. And sometimes that's all that matters. But to know maybe I can go see my best friend again just is yeah. amazing. Um, there are very few things that I am 99.9% .9 certain about, but two of them I can say. Human beings continue after they physically die. Hmm. Our animal companions continue after they physically die. I love it. I love it. That's a great way. We've talked about demons. We've talked about some crazy stuff, and that's the best way I could have ended this. So, Michelle, 
honestly, thank you so much for your time. I know it's been a few hours. I couldn't imagine gone much better. So thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you on TV. And next time I do, I'm gonna be like, I know you. <laughs> we had a great conversation. It's super fun. So Michelle, thank you very much. You can follow me at the Pursuit of Happiness on Instagram. Um, this has been a blast. So once again, thank you. Thank you so much. You have a good night.